we're taking a break from our Mark series. We've been in the book of Mark now for about six weeks, and we're taking a quick break um, from the book of Mark this morning. Um, back, it's been, it's been about over a year ago where we started talking about this, and we tried to schedule something in the fall, and um, <clears throat> we couldn't get our schedules worked out together, and looking back on it, it's probably a good thing with uh, everything that's happened in 2020. Um, but Pastor Tom Wagner, about three years ago, um, we were introduced um, through his youth pastor. His youth pastor grew up at the same church as my wife, and so that was our connection. And um, we, we got connected, and I very, very quickly um, understood that uh, this was a, a man I needed in my life. As a younger pastor, um, I think younger pastors often um, overlook their need of an older pastor. And, this, and when I say old... I mean old, I'm just kidding, <laughs> an older pastor uh, to keep them grounded, to keep perspective, encouragement, um, and he has been that for me, and we're just getting started, I believe, on our friendship, and um, for 37 years, he's pastored Central Baptist Church in Dunn, North Carolina. How many of you know where Dunn is? Raise your hand. How many, of you, how many of you are honest, like you've heard of it, but you really don't exactly know where it is? Raise your hand. There we go. There's our honest people, all right? <laughs> so if you take 40 to 95, like you're going to Savannah, Georgia, or you're going to Florida, Daytona, Florida, maybe, uh, you'll, pass, you'll pass through Dunn very quickly. And, uh, but anyway, he's been there, and honestly, the Lord has been a miraculous work there. In a, in a rural area, they've built a massive church, especially for that area. And God's just used him in, in a great way. And so he has a unique ability, um, I believe, to speak into our lives. Um, he's a spirit-filled um, speaker, and, um, and I'm excited today for you to hear him. So would you do this for the next few minutes? Would you just open up your heart? Would you remove any, any distractions that may be around you? And can I ask you for the next few minutes, just say, God, if you'll speak to me today, I'll listen. If you'll speak, I'll listen. That's it today. That's all I ask. Can we uh, thank, by the way, I'm sure he'll introduce his wife, Terry. She writes all of his, info, his, writes all of his content. Um, and she was, honestly, had we known, let's be real, had we known how good she was going to be, we would, we would have just invited her yesterday for the, for the uh, family weekend, for the, for the relationship thing. But can we thank uh, Terry and Tom Wagner for being with us this morning? Yeah. Thank you, Pastor. I love you, Josh. Well, I'm very excited to be here. If you want to go with me in your Bibles to the 17th chapter of Matthew, uh, while we're uh, getting ready to get into the Scriptures, I was thinking about that passage when he said that uh, maybe I could be a little encouragement to him. I was thinking about that place in Acts when, uh, when at the um, beginning of Peter's message, that Pentecostal sermon, he said um, what's happened today when the Spirit came was, uh, was prophesied, obviously, in the book of Joel, but he said that the old men will dream their dreams and the young men will see their visions. You know what I've asked God to do in the latter years of my life? I've asked him to let me come alongside of young men who are fresh, seeing fresh vision for the gospel in our country in this generation. And let me be the old man that dreams dreams over them and encourages them all along the way and eggs them on and um, resources them and and cries over them and rejoices with them and weeps with them when they weep, that's, I think that's a pretty good spot to be in toward the end. Now, uh, I thought, always thought that dream and dream part was just talking about the past. Every old person I know likes to talk about the old days. 
but I don't want to live in the old days. I want to hang out with you guys and enjoy this. The worship this morning was sweet as ever. I'm not sure I have any voice left to preach. He kept saying louder, and we kept singing to Jesus, and I got a glimpse of him this morning and already have worshiped this morning, and it was a blessing to be with each of you. Uh, I was trying to think, Lord, in one um, time together, uh, what would you have for me to say? And I, I'm going to preach this morning for a little while on a mustard seed morning or a mustard seed moment or a mustard seed ministry. You can add what you want to. I told the pastor, I only have like three messages. I have a thousand titles. And so uh, we, we'll jump right into a passage that you're very familiar with. Can I just give you a little background of where we were yesterday? Basically, um, if I was doing a subtitle, it would be Desperate Families. Because the reality is, even in the church, the enemy's fighting really hard and attacking homes and families. And if you're single here this morning, uh, then you've been a part of a family. You are a part of a family. You're a part of this family as well. And so really, uh, there's an attack on marriages and homes and families. And we addressed three primary issues yesterday. Number one, we talked about what it means to become one. And of course, the primary thing is to become one with God. But uh, then in marriage, we, we must... Uh, learn what it means to connect spiritually and emotionally and physically because there's three parts of you. Paul said, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. So we talked about connecting spiritually and emotionally and physically. And then we talked about need meeting and how God promises in his word, Jesus said, my God shall supply all your needs. So we're looking to him uh, to, to meet those needs in our life. However, God places people in our lives to meet unique needs. And we have to know what they are. And so we addressed what they were and how to make a, an effort at meeting those. The, the final area we talked about was conflict resolution or healing the hurts that occur in everyday life. If you weren't able to be here, maybe you're watching the live stream or you're here today and you weren't able to join us yesterday. I brought a few extra of those little booklets. I have them in the car. If after the service you'd like to have one, I would encourage you to take one and then hang out with one of the couples in the church invite them over to your house or you guys go out for an evening and bring the books and just walk through together these principles so that we together as a congregation can move forward let me tell you i, I cast vision i'm a uh, my gift is in romans chapter 12 is the gift of the prophet bold proclamation don't get scared i'm not going to prophesy something out there in the never never land that's not in the bible however i will tell you that what i see i do see god putting such a foundation under keystone uh, I, I'm so excited to be here this morning because I want to tell you, um, I don't know what all is going to happen in the future, but you better buckle your seatbelts because when you get an atmosphere where people are just pointed to Jesus, there's not a primary personality that is being edified and, and magnified and the personality is Christ. And when you put leaders together like the God has placed in your church, what's happening is he's developing a foundation and he's about to do something really big. Now, <clears throat> Mr. Rayner and other consultants for, um, for ministry have been saying this, and they freak out a lot of uh, churches and pastors that 40% of the people are never going to return to the church. Well, let me remind you that Mr. Rayner and other good men are not the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I've been watching the news, too. And I've been listening to God. And let me tell you what Tom Wagner thinks about everything. Not that you really could care. Why does he know anything? He lives in the Poduck Holler in Dunn, North Carolina. Let me tell you what I see. I heard a sociologist say on the TV the other day when being interviewed, after every major pandemic, when we've been disconnected, when it begins to lighten up, people are craving human connection. And so that's where, in the 20s, that's where the speakeasies came. You know, people just could not wait to be back together. 
and what I see happening in the, in the near future. And I'm convinced it's, uh, it's I believe it's what we're, we're preparing for. And I think it's why God gave us a season to be disconnected a little bit so that we can prepare the core of the congregation for a day when a lost world, your community's watching every Sunday when you uh, line cars up and down the street. When you, when you walk up here with joy, when you speak with them, when you hang out in the park a little afterwards or have a cup of coffee down at, the, at the, uh, the food truck, I'm telling you right now, they're observing. And not only are they observing, people are watching probably today. There's a woman we met at the hotel uh, just the other day. She's watching right now. In fact, hello. And she was really sweet. And I'm looking for her to come. She's in your community. But not just that. Your people are going to return. And what's going to happen is we're going to be poised to see God move in a very supernatural way. But in order for that to happen, there's got to be one of these mustard seed moments. So in the 17th chapter of Matthew, we're going to begin in verse 1. I want to lay a little foundation and then preach just briefly on, on the subject of faith and the family. Verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. You talk about a worship moment. Number one, how would you like to be invited by Jesus to go on a little mountain retreat? I mean, you get a call, uh, Pastor, and, and you guys, two or three of you get a call. Jesus says, look, I want you to, I'm telling you, you'd clear your calendar immediately. If you got to go with Jesus on a mountain retreat, here's Peter, James, and John, and they're so excited. And they're on their way up the mountain with Jesus. You know, Peter gets up there in a moment, in an emotional moment, he says, it's good for us to be here. But I would say to you, it was pretty good being there all the way up the mountain. As he was just walking with Jesus up the mountain. And when they get up there, I'm not sure all that takes place or how much time has transpired. But they get up there and then all of a sudden they get to witness something that no human has ever seen quite like this before. Jesus begins to show on the outside who and what he is on the inside. His glory is manifested on that mountain. I'm telling you, one of the other places, I think it's Mark 8. We're in Mark, we should run over there, but for sake of time, we will not. Or either Luke, Luke 8 or 9, uh, when it talks about his, his countenance became glistering. I mean, it was so bright and it was overwhelming. What happened was the other world, the heavenly world, it's a supernatural moment when heaven is being revealed on the earth and Peter and James and John get to witness this on this mountain and they see the glory of God. And it's so glorious that Moses and Elijah shows up. I mean, these guys have been dead for a long time. And they're revealed. You say, Pastor, this is uh, humanly impossible. Uh, that couldn't happen. Look, at, have you read the Bible enough to recognize that God doesn't operate in the natural? He operates in the supernatural. You know what he said? The things which are seen are temporal or temporary. But the things which are unseen are eternal. And for one, I'm going to just say, and I know you do too, I believe everything God's Word says. Amen or not? This is our confidence. So Jesus shows up in his glory. His glory is revealed. And you know what the glory of God is, don't you? I love this definition. It's the essential presence of God in all of his splendor as he reveals himself to man. Jesus was revealing himself not just to Peter, James, and John, but to Keystone Church this morning as we open up this passage and look at it all over again. Don't just read past this. This was a moment of the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. It's the glimpse we get when we worship. It's the glimpse we get when we pray. It's that moment when we're standing in the foyer praying with the leaders earlier. It's that glimpse of the eternal God. What a glorious moment. Can I say something to you too, Keystone? 
You're on the track that God wants you to be. Don't let anything, don't let performance, don't let personality, don't let any of those things get in your way. Right now it's Jesus, only Jesus. On that mountain, it wasn't important the talent. It wasn't important the personality. It was Jesus on that mountain. And when they saw him, everything began to change. What a glorious moment. I would have loved to have been right there. I've had some moments quite similar to it. You know, Paul said, I, I, was in the, I don't know if I was in the spirit or out of the spirit. He said, I, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. I can't tell you, but about 14 years ago, um, you know, he got a glimpse. There are those glimpses of the glory all through the scripture. And I'm, I've, I've said this, and I really believe it. You take me to a church that's primary purpose is as yours, to see the glory of Christ. And I, a building will not contain that church. Well, the Bible says that There appeared Moses and Elijah, verse 3, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Now, Peter also had the gift of the prophet, like me. We often say things before we think. Our foot is in our mouths so much of the time. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. What? Peter, think about what you're saying, man. And then something really amazing happens. It only happens a few other times, a couple other times in Scripture. While he's talking... While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Look at this. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said... Now, this is the message that God wouldn't let a preacher preach. One of the few times God audibly speaks is in this moment. When somebody talks about sharing the glory of his son with something or someone else. God comes up and he says three three really powerful things. He says, this is my beloved son. And the other passages say, uh, the, the, the writer of uh, Luke and, and Mark quote him as saying, hear him. But, but the fullness of what he said, you have to read all the accounts. This is my, say it with me, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What a moment. Can you imagine how Jesus felt? Have you ever played sports or had some kind of event and your parent came, somebody that loved you came to see you there? I mean, that was pretty cool that God showed up in one of these important moments. Remember, he only does it one other time in the, at the baptism moment when Jesus is being baptized. And God the Father shows up and he says those three things. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I, I couldn't wait to tell you this. I was in Chicago uh, preaching uh, for Jason Workman's father-in-law 15, 20 years ago. And it was a Bible conference, and I was uh, sitting in the back seat. Pastor was driving the missionary. One of the missionaries was in the front seat. We were going out to dinner with all the missionaries and the, and the, and the guests. And the missionary was in the front. His name is Chris White. He was a missionary to, to uh, China. And he said, I just came from this men's conference, and something really cool was said. And I'm sitting in the back seat, and I always carry a little pen in my pocket. And I was getting out my pen to see if it was anything worthwhile. And, and man, I, have you ever had those moments where it's like God... He's right there with you, and he's saying something to you so strong that you know this is going to make a difference in your life. He said it was a men's fraternal event, and the man said there were three things that the greatest father that ever has existed, which is God the Father, said three things to his son that we should say to our children every single day. And I, okay, I'm going to write that down. I've got kids and a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and some grandkids. Okay, I'm ready to write this down. Listen to this. God the Father said to Jesus, number one, I love you. This is my beloved son. I love you. Number two, he said, I'm here with you. 
of anywhere in the cosmos God could have been. He shows up in that cloud, speaks out of it. I'm, I love you. I'm here with you. And finally he says, I'm proud of you. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now I'm sitting in the back of that car. And then all of a sudden, I've been, pre, I've been studying this subject about being one with Jesus. And I, I heard, I, I remember Paul's, in Paul's writings, he says it again and again that I'm in Christ. So I'm sitting in the back seat, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was like the Lord said, Hey, Tom, you're in Christ. Ooh, wait a minute. Well, if I'm in Christ, then those words that the Father is speaking over Jesus is the same way he feels about me. What? Wait a minute now. That's a game changer. I'm sitting in the back seat, and instead of me calling my kids to tell them, I love you, I'm here with you, I'm proud of you, it's like God the Father said, Hey, Tom. Can I tell you something about you? In my son Jesus, I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm right here with you. You don't have to worry. When you stand up to speak, I'm right here with you. And I'm proud of you. And I love you. And so every morning when I pray now, I stop in, in the middle of my prayer and I say, Lord, do you have something to say to me this morning? And I listen for him because I can almost sense him saying to me, Hey, I love you, son. All through the scriptures this is taught. I'm right here with you. Good heavens, that did something for me. I love you, I'm here for you, and I'm proud of you. Well, in this moment, God says that to his son. And then, uh, of course, when they lifted up their eyes, no one was there except Jesus. And uh, in, the, in that moment, they started down the mountain. And as they came down the mountain, verse 9. I want you to look down to verse 14. And I want to talk just briefly about this whole situation with the family. <clears throat> the family that's at the, at the foot of the hill. And I want you to see three things. Number one, if you're writing a note down, or just to remember your thoughts, here's, here's what I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see the disciples in the valley. You see, we talk about Peter, James, and John, but we don't talk about the other disciples that weren't invited to go up uh, with Jesus to the mountain. And have you ever felt like that? <clears throat> I mean, you know, you know Jesus, you've been walking with him, but yet you're not enjoying that kind of intimacy that some people are enjoying. You're not experiencing his glory in the same way. I mean, here's Peter, James, and John got a personal invite to go to the mountain, but what about the other disciples that are in the valley? This is what I see almost every week of our lives when we travel to other states and we sit down with churches and pastors and, and staffs. So many times we're so defeated. Uh, we see so many uh, Christians who are discouraged and overwhelmed. And they're living their lives in the valley. And the sad thing is... <clears throat> In this valley, there's, there's this struggle because there's no power. You see, this man had brought his son, and when he brought his son to Jesus, in that moment, or excuse me, he was coming to see Jesus. Jesus was on the mountain. And when he brings his son to the disciples, there was no power. And watch this. The world is looking on, and they don't see any power. And the lost are looking on. The community's looking on. And you know, the, I was thinking this morning while I was praying that... Jesus loves to come in and create a culture. Jesus was about to change the culture of that community. He's about to change the culture of this family. All they had known is conflict up until this moment. Trial and issues were, were everywhere in the life of this family. This boy was in trouble. I'll talk about that in a moment. His mom and dad had to be overwhelmed by the physical and emotional and spiritual con uh, conflict that was going on. And so <clears throat> Jesus is going to come in and change all of that. But when, when the man brings uh, his uh, son and this terrible family condition to uh, the disciples, they could do nothing for them. 
You see, these disciples were far removed from the presence of Christ. They have no power. We're going to find out why a little bit later in the text. They asked him, Lord, why could, how could, we not, why could we not cast the demon out of this boy? And of course, we know that every family conflict, every issue, doesn't mean that the, uh, the devil has, has uh, completely filled someone. However, I do believe that the enemy's very much at work today, and he, uh, he is oppressing as well as possessing people. And we're living in a culture where, where people don't even acknowledge that or recognize the difference. But here at the bottom of the hill, though, there's no miracles. There's no miracles like on the, on the top of the mountain. There's no miracles. And I, I've just made a decision in my life. I don't want to live there. I want to live where God is at work, where His Son is being revealed, where there's glory on the mountain. And we were asked to do an interview, Stephen and I. I don't know if I ever sent you that link. Our son Stephen is a church planter, uh, and he's in Charlotte in a church plant. And he, he and I are polar opposites in, in the way we think on some things and, and the, the philosophy of the way we do ministry. He's more of a house church, um, missional community, which I'm all for that too. In fact, I'm for everybody that's sharing Jesus. Any form of gospel work, I'm all about that. Somebody said if a dog comes through town barking about Jesus, Tom will throw him a bone. I mean, I'm, I'm all for every uh, type of the small, large churches, um, uh, mega churches, missional communities, house churches, everything else. I, I'm for all that. But they ask us because of the diversity to do a, an interview, the Baptist State Convention. And uh, we were talking about, and he asked the question, tell us about the model of, of Central, about the church you lead. And Pastor mentioned, I've been there a long time, but the bottom line is, um, and I don't think we've coined this, but we are really seeking the glory of God. We've really focused our attention on being a glory-seeking church. Not glory for ourselves, but glory for Christ. When he's lifted up, he does draw men to him. We've watched that down the aisles, in homes and families. And it's been interesting to see the Lord add to his church just because our focus was not ourselves and some kind of a felt need focus or some kind of a whatever was popular in that moment shifting to that. We've tried to focus our attention on the person of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Ghost and the glory of God Almighty. And so in this moment, we see these disciples and they're in the valley. But then there's more to the story because in verse 14, the Bible says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic. In other words, he was seizing like an epileptic and sore vexed for oft times, not a few times, but many times. He falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Here is a, a desperate family in trouble not only are the disciples in the valley but here's a desperate family in trouble and i, I want to say to this church sometimes in the ministry that, that i've had the opportunity to be a part of all these years we all look really good when we come together we got everything together it's, it appears i mean we have our bibles and and we have these smiling happy families and i've even had people say that's attended our church you know i looked around pastor and i'm struggling with this addiction or i'm struggling with this in my life and it looks like the people in your church have everything together and I just start to laugh after 37 years uh, you know there's every type of potential issue and sin and struggle and weight that there ever has been identified I've observed in this period of time and a lot of those are still sitting right in the congregation and some still battling all the while 
How many of you know that it's true, this is true, that you're a mess? And I'm a mess. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross in the first place. Because you and I could never get to the place where we would be good enough to redeem ourselves. I love that verse. And when they were singing one of the songs today, I believe it was the second one in the worship, when, when they were talking about um, God redeeming us. And it was reminding me, we took my sin. That was what, it was the part of the song about him taking my sin. And I love that substitutionary work when he says, He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I, that overwhelms me that he took all the righteousness of God and put it on me, took all of my sin and all of your sin and put it on Jesus. Man, what a deal right there. The whole righteousness of God is on me. And in this, in this moment, though, families are struggling just like this one is. And some are struggling because the enemy, Satan himself, have, has come after their home and their family. Sometimes it's a son or a daughter, like in this story. Other times it's a marriage. Other times it are outside influences. But for one reason or another, here's what the enemy knows. If I can hurt and destroy the connection in a family, if I can hurt individuals within that family, then I can affect the ministry of the gospel in the church, etc. So here's a desperate family in trouble. And when you look at him, there's a lot of things. I, I was just noticing out of the three uh, texts the three different texts where this story is shared, the things that were mentioned. Number one, this is an only child. The mother doesn't even show up. You say, well, I wonder where she is. Well, we don't know the backstory about it. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But I can imagine she's so distraught, she couldn't even imagine. They, they've sought every type of help that you can imagine. They're, they're overwhelmed. And he's having these seizures. He's foaming, uh, one of the passages says. He can't speak. He has a dumb spirit, and he can't speak. And this is, Jesus asked, how long has he been in this condition? Well, from the childhood, from a child, that's how long. And oftentimes, not a few times, but often he falls into the fire. So more than likely, there are burns, massive burns upon his skin, his legs or his arms. And oftentimes into the water, and the enemy would, within him, the demon would try to drown him. And by the way, that, it shouldn't shock us. Anything that we see, in, even in the culture we live in. Because Satan is very real and very much at work right now. And his strategy, you know, he, he doesn't have a new strategy. He's got the same strategy he's always had, John 10. He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's always been his plan, to destroy homes and families. And so in a marriage, when a couple like some of you did yesterday decide to pull down the wall and began to address some of the, the hurts that have occurred, boy, he trembles when that happens. Because you're, what's happening is you're beginning to see God do what he did here in this text. You're beginning to see the culture begin to change in your family from uh, hurt and conflict and anger and, and other issues. You're beginning to see uh, the, the walls come down in honesty and humility and repentance take its place. I wonder if I'm speaking to a family this morning, either on the live stream or, or who are here in the service live this morning, that have to recognize, look, the enemy's been very much a part of trying to destroy everything that God wants for our family. Can I tell you that you get to decide whether or not you're willing to be obedient to the things of God? And the answer is not counseling for the rest of your life. The answer is not found in a pill bottle. In this story, we're going to see a very happy ending to this story. And by the way, 
Don't ever recommend to me any movie at all that doesn't have a good ending. I've never been so angry in all my life as years ago when the movie uh, Message in a Bottle came out. Somebody said, you need to see Message in a Bottle. You'll love, you'd like love stories, Pastor Tom. I told him yesterday, my wife is a sports fan. I don't like sports. I like love stories and Hallmark, stuff like that. And so I started watching it. Man, here's just, it was a sad beginning. I'm thinking, well, still sad beginning. You know, the love of his life, you know, she dies. It's going to be better. I guarantee you there's a better ending. This is going to be great. And so I engage in it. Some of you have seen the movie. I can tell that by looking at you. And, and then he, he meets someone. Oh, they fall in love. And he takes this boat that he was making. You remember this? And he's making it, he was making, and he took it out kind of as a final voyage to say goodbye to the woman that he loved that had passed away. And while he's out there, a storm comes up. Do you remember this? And as the storm comes up, he looks over and there's another boat. And there's a family on it. And they're about to go down. Well, he's a master swimmer. So he's going to jump in. I'm thinking he's going to jump in, save them all. And then they're all going to uh, make it in. And then he's going to be married. And they're going to walk off into the sunset and live happily ever after. But that's not what happened. It's one of the worst endings in all of Hollywood history. It was terrible because they all drowned. And he drowns. Think of that. What a terrible... Look, I despise stuff like that. I remember watching uh, Castaway. That was, an, that was a waste of two hours' time. You don't come home after being on an island and her married somebody else. Don't even think about that. You say, well, that happens in real life. I'm not interested in real life. I have enough real life. I'm looking for a happy ending. So in this story, when we talk about Jesus and how he's at work, we talk about on the mountain his glory being revealed, and then we see the disciples in the valley, and then the desperate family in trouble. I mean, these guys are in trouble. He's falling down, right? You talk about audacity. The devil throws him down right in front of Jesus, one of the passages says. He begins to seize right in front of Jesus. In order, one last time, Satan's saying, let me show you what I can do with a family. Let me show you how I can destroy it. Only Jesus doesn't even, he doesn't sweat for a moment. He don't wring his hands. He looks over to the Father and asks, how long has he been in this condition? And then he does two things. He rebukes the faithless. Before he ever rebukes, the foul spirit. He says, look, look down to verse, uh, we're in uh, verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I going to have to be with you for you to see that I have power? I gave you disciples power. I gave you, you you're a conduit through which my power can flow. How long am I going to, but he wasn't just rebuking, by the way, the disciples. He was rebuking the people standing there, the faithless generation. He was rebuking the dad. He's rebuking the faithless. Listen to me, church. It's so encouraging to come in here and see your vision and to hear your heartbeat and to think about what God is doing in this part of Durham right now. Look, I'm so excited about it. But listen to me. You could in a moment's time get your eyes off of Jesus and that, just that fast. And decide to, to allow the trends of the time to influence you. It, it could become one day about something other than the person of Christ. And the preaching of God's word. And the glorious worship. That's so easy. I watch lots of people start out really good. But I'm just challenging you because in this moment as Jesus is standing there. He looks across and he rebukes the faithless. And then he rebukes the foul spirit. 
Some people get that confused. Jesus then looks over to the foul spirit and he, he, he rebukes the devil, verse 18. And can I just point out something real quick? In a day where Satan is very much at work, nowhere in the Bible that I have been able to find are you ever exhorted to rebuke the devil. I grew up in a culture where we heard that all the time. You're struggling? Then, well, rebuke the devil. You should rebuke the devil. And sorry, it's not in there. There is passages where it says resist the devil and he will flee from you. There are passages where we're exhorted to come to Jesus and Jesus in turn rebukes the devil. Can I tell you, there are seven sons over in the book of Acts that learn you better not mess with the enemy. You're no match for him in your flesh. Thank God we have an elder brother by the name of Jesus that has power over evil and all evil spirits. But you don't have that power, so the best thing for you to do is run to your elder brother. My favorite story about this is my big brother. He's, he's in heaven now. He died um, back in 2010. Uh, but he, and he was lost until like a year before uh, that he died. He'd done federal time and all that. I grew up in Winston-Salem. My brother was a biker. I'll tell it really quick. He was a... He was bad to the bone. Rode with the hell's angels, mean, lost a few teeth. He, you know, back in those days, they didn't wash their blue jeans very often. He could stand his up right in the, in the, had long hair. He was, he was bad. Had a chopped out Harley motorcycle. And I was in a school in a part of Winston-Salem that when they started cross-busing, you know, we were a little, uh, <laughs> little sheltered white people and we didn't know how to uh, involve ourselves in any other part of the culture we ended up in a different school where we things were more diverse and there were threats made and I remember as a little boy thinking you know boy and on the last day of school this is going to happen and I was freaking out a little bit and told my mother my brother was in the other room he comes in and he says hey uh, he was visiting us he says I'll come and pick you up on the last day of school Whoa, what don't say that if you're not going to do it. He said, no, I'll be there. He said, I said, do you promise you'll come? Yeah, I was in fifth grade. He said, yeah, I'll be there. And I'm thinking, he won't be there. He won't, I'm going to get beat up, probably cut, and everything else here. Uh, and here, my brother's not going to show. But about, on the last day of school, Pastor, about five minutes before closing, I heard something. And the windows of that old school started to rattle. I thought, oh, he's here. I didn't ask the teacher anything. It's the last day of school. What's she going to do? I busted out that side door, and I went out there, put that little helmet on he had for me, uh, and I jumped on the back of that motorcycle. And then I heard the bell go off. I said, wait, just wait. And uh, as we were waiting, uh, the bell's going off, and all of a sudden the kids start running out, and here comes a few of those big old boys uh, coming out there, and, and I look over at them, and I'm not scared at all. You know why? I'm on the back of that motorcycle with my big brother. I'm not scared at all. So I turn around and I give him one of these right here. Let me tell you, I'm not scared at all of any of you right now. And off I ride with my, with my big brother. Now, you know why I didn't worry? Because I was on there with my brother Phil. And I'm going to tell you something about the enemy. Don't live in fear of that. Come to Jesus and let him rebuke the devil. He did it. And the Bible says in that moment, Jesus changed the culture of that family. Look at this. Jesus rebuked the devil, verse 18, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. What I didn't mention earlier is the, the better part of the last part of this story as I close. We see the disciples in trouble and the desperate family, uh, or the disciples in the valley, the, de the desperate family in trouble, but we also see that the deliverer was en route all the time. Jesus was on his way down the mountain. Jesus was on his way. When Jesus comes into a family... When he's brought into that family, when Jesus comes into a circumstance, when Jesus steps into a community, everything begins to change. And that's exactly what happened in this moment. It's pretty special, and I, I celebrate that 
uh, and all that Jesus is doing here in this moment with you. Thinking about families, though, and, and seeing God do a work, I was thinking about what Jesus said to the disciples at the end. Notice what he said when they, they asked Jesus to come, uh, to, they, they pulled him apart. Verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus, and they asked this question. They said, why could we not cast him out? He said, because of your unbelief. But he said, and I brought some of these with me, Pastor. I'm going to leave them with you. He said, if you had faith, like a little grain, you can't see it, of mustard seed, just a little, you could say to this mountain, somebody mentioned that today in the worship, mountains being removed. You could say to this mountain, look, I don't know what your mountain is. I don't know where you are, student, mom and dad, single adult. I don't know, those of you that are watching, I have no idea what mountain is there. I just know that we have a Savior who has power over evil. And the biggest issue was their faithlessness in this moment. This is a mustard seed moment for a dad, for a mom, for a husband or a wife to say, I trust that Jesus has the power to take our family, our home, our circumstances, and he can change that in a moment. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.